right, hello, good evening, everybody. How are you this evening? You made it? You made it? That's half the battle right there, huh? <laughs> awesome, so glad that you guys are here. And we are going to be studying the book of Malachi again tonight, continuing our series in uh, Malachi. Tonight we're going to be in chapter 2. <clears throat> so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there, Malachi chapter 2. I think I know most of you folks, but if I haven't met you, my name is Jonah. I'm one of the uh, pastoral interns here on staff, but it's been a great study so far. Uh, very, man, it's kind, of, it's kind of a tough word. Malachi is hard, <laughs> but we're excited. We're excited to keep going tonight. And last week, we got to re really review what the priests and the people were going through, but I hope you were encouraged. Uh, again, as we make our way through this uh, book of Malachi, it, sometimes it is a hard word, you know, to be honest, it, it's hard. Um, part of it is a rebuke, but uh, total rebuke, actually, against the priests and the people of Israel. But, man, I hope you guys uh, left last week feeling encouraged. I hope I didn't make anybody <laughs> feel like a beatdown. Didn't want anybody to walk out of the doors feeling terrible, so forgive me if I did that. I hope I didn't. But, yeah, it is, it is a hard word, but that's one thing I, I really love about our church, Calvary Chapel, churches in general, we go through the Bible verse by verse. We don't skip anything, even the weird hard verses. Um, and it's easier to skip stuff, but that is just one thing I've always admired about Calvary Chapel. You know, we go verse by verse, and um, I for sure don't know everything about hard verses and when they come up, but uh, we just believe that this is God's inspired word, so we don't shy away from it. We do our best to study, and we try not to gloss over it, you know, anything. Um, so yeah, that's got our philosophy on it. Love it. But you might remember that last week we saw that God had addressed the Israelites and said, uh, I'm not pleased with your worship. You guys are not worshiping me for real. This ain't cutting it. <laughs> the so-called worship that you guys are doing isn't working. Um, it's not true worship. It's not real worship. What a bummer, right? So I think that's one of the major themes of this book is that the Lord is looking for real worship. Um, Last week, we, God started by addressing the people, and then he ended by addressing the priests. These priests were not doing well. They were offering the Lord sacrifices that were uh, lame and sick and blind. They, they were unacceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Remember, they were giving the Lord essentially their roadkill. They're like, Lord, <laughs> we found this one on the side of the road. We hope that you like it. And God's like, man, what am I supposed to do with this? I want your guys' best. I want the very best from you guys. I don't want this stuff. I want the ribeye. Where he said, not the rump roast. The butt roast. What? you going to give that to God? No way, man. The Lord even said, you offer defiled food on my altar. Man, don't want the Lord to say that about me, right? <laughs> One of those don'ts. <clears throat> so we saw that the priests should have been giving God their all, but instead they were taking the easy route, offering God something that, frankly, he just wasn't interested in. He was not interested in that. Um, part of the problem, and I wanted to touch on this really briefly before we get started in Malachi chapter 2, but part of the problem was that the people were going through the motions. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just, uh, we're doing it because we do it? <laughs> we couldn't even tell you why. We're just doing it. I call it the routine of religion. The routine of religion, it's like, wah, wah, wah. You know, we got to go to church. We got to, that's not what God wants, right? Um, it's where you're doing the things because you feel obligated. 
You're not doing it out of the overflow of your heart. And I think we've all been there at one point, right? Kind of the mundane, again, the routine of religion. Uh, the problem with that mentality, and I think the really strict warning that we're getting from Malachi, um, we will end up just like the Israelites were making the same mistakes that they did because they ended up being totally okay with offering God the roadkill, as we mentioned. The worst part, too, is that they thought it was fine. They thought they were doing good. They thought, man, we're, uh, yeah, everything's good here over at the temple. Yeah, we just give God uh, pretty much all of our leftovers, and he's happy with it. But, no, that's not the case. Malachi is calling them out on it. But the warning is that we can just be like that. We can be just like the Israelites, man. We can do that, too. We can get stuck in the going through the motions. Uh, you can turn, and I've been at this stage before, you can turn into a uh, religious robot, man. You're just insensitive to the spirit of God, but you're like, I am entering worship mode. It's just not, not what God wants, right? Like those battle droids from Star Wars. You guys seen that? Okay, don't admit that you've seen Star Wars. It's okay. Part of the solution, too, I believe, is that we need to shake things up. It needs to be different. You know, recently here we had a, a, a week of prayer and fasting, and I can't tell you how awesome that is for a church. It's just a spark. It's new life. It's mixing it up, and it refreshes us. It adds uh, something to the routine where we get on our face before the Lord, and we say, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? Is there, uh, is there something lame I'm doing, Lord? Is there something I need to change? It's so good to do that. So I love it as a church when we have those weeks where we get together, we fast, and we pray. That was so powerful. I always am reminded, too, during those weeks, Lord, just let me return to my first love. If I've made it more complicated, um, just rid me of that, Lord. Convict me, and uh, just let me return to my first love. I always think that, too. So tonight, uh, again, Malachi has a, in chapter 2, he has a really hard word for the priests, and it's not a... Uh, fuzzy gooey message from Malachi <laughs> that but that was his job that was uh, again his name is my messenger and this was the message that the Lord had for the people um, but oftentimes I find we need those real reminders a bit of correction to get us back on course you know is that true have you guys noticed that how the Lord he loves you enough to discipline you he loves you enough to say hey let's get back on course so Malachi is specifically going to address the priests the leaders of the nation here so Let's look at it together, but uh, first let me just pray for us one more time. Father, we're just asking that tonight you would uh, reveal yourself to us through your word, Lord. If there is a wicked way in us, if there's something we need to change, if we need to change course, Father, I pray that we would be quick to do it. Your people would be quick and say, Lord, here, we want to make the change. We're doing it. Reveal that to us, Father. If we're going in the right direction, man, help us to carry on. Help us to keep moving forward. Help us to never stop, Lord. And so we ask again for your spirit uh, to be here tonight. Lord, we ask for uh, your spirit just to be poured out, Lord, as we look at your word. And we uh, ask again that you would reveal your truth to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Malachi chapter 2, look at verse 1. And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. I wanted to stop there just for a moment to affirm that... Uh, <clears throat> This word is indeed for the priests. And to the Jewish people, <clears throat> the uh, priests were the leaders of the nation. They were the people that all the Israelites really looked up to were the priests. They were influ influential. They looked up to them the most. Again, these are the leaders. These are the main characters of the nation. 
And being a priest, <clears throat> again, we see Malachi address, addressing the priest here. It meant that you had influence, that you had power, that you were, a, gosh, I don't even know how to say it, an important person. Everyone is looking up to you, right? Uh, the priests in Israel specifically were very influential. We see that in the trial of Jesus. It's Matthew chapter 26. Um, but after the soldiers arrested Jesus in the garden, they brought him to the high priest Caiaphas. You guys remember this story? In the meeting, it says that they were seeking false testimony against Jesus. They're calling on people saying, hey, someone, you know, bear witness about this guy and all the bad stuff that he's done. But they're having a lot of trouble finding false witnesses. In fact, they couldn't find any. No one could come forward with a genuine account. They said accusations, but a lot of them just didn't hold up. But they weren't able to find any fault with him. So finally, it says one of the high priests steps forward and says to Jesus, uh, and I, this is verse 63, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. <laughs> yeah, look at right there. And the high priest answered and said, I put you under oath by the living God, which is so, I think that's so ironic. He's saying that to Jesus, who is the living God. Isn't that funny? He's like, I put you under oath by the living God, but you are the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus responds in the next verse. He says, yeah, I am. It is as he said. You said it. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power, coming on the clouds of heaven. Uh, yeah, we all have this part on the screen. But afterwards, the high priest, he tears his clothes and he says, he's blaspheming. He spoke in blasphemy. You guys just heard it right there. We don't need any more witnesses. All the witnesses can sit down because we've caught him in the act. He's a, he just said it right there. He blasphemed. And then... The high priest says he is deserving of death. Don't you guys agree? And everybody agrees, and they sentence him to death. But again, this is the high priest making the call. So very influential. We see that right now. Being a priest was a big deal. Being a priest meant that, again, it's power. And again, when I say influence, you have, that means that they had the ability. Um, how do I say this? They had the ability to specifically influence what people thought about God. That's a, a big, very big responsibility that people are saying, uh, okay, you guys are the priests. We believe that you talk to God. We believe that you're tight with God. So you must be a representation of him. Um, and that really is, that's the biggest responsibility that I could think of. Uh, you guys remember Uncle Ben from Spider-Man? Remember what he said? Great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, exactly. You got it. <laughs> But now if you're like me, I'm thinking to myself, man, being a priest sounds really important. Uh, they're influ influential. I understand that. So I think those guys should be really good. I think they should be good guys. <laughs> I think they should be on the straight and narrow, that they should be leading us, leading by example, right? That's what I think. But I believe the Lord thinks that too. God is saying that as well of his priests. That's what he requires. So again, verse 1, this is to the priests. Um, and you might be thinking to yourself right now, well, hey, I'm not a priest. <laughs> That's not my occupation. Well, um, you're not off the hook. <laughs> uh, it's not like all the pastors in the room are just going to stick around and we're going to have a staff meeting and talk to them. No. Um, I believe that as Christians, we are expected by the Lord to be leaders. We are expected to be examples to people that don't believe in God of what he is like. And we are expected by people that even do believe in God. We are examples. And the Bible actually uh, meant we have the greatest message on earth. That's what I think. As Christians, we have the greatest message. We are influential. Jesus said we're the light of the world, man. <laughs> I 
just like these priests were supposed to be. And the Bible actually says that we are a royal priesthood. You guys heard this verse before. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Read it right here. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I have this verse highlighted in my Bible. We are a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood, a holy people, his own special people. So I believe this message actually it applies to all of us, not just the pastors in the room. So if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, I think this message is for you. But look at verse 2. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. We read here in verse 2, if you don't listen, if you're not going to take it to heart, I'll send a curse upon you. And the Lord says he'll curse their blessings, which may even be worse than the curse just upon yourself personally. My first point that I want to talk about, listen to the Lord. First things first. That's a baseline thing. That's the baseline step. Again, God is interested in our character, man. He cares. He really cares. It's a big deal to him. That's real worship to him. But listen to the Lord. We need to be those that are in tune to whatever the Lord is saying. You personally, me personally, I need to be in tune. God, what are you saying? What are your commandments? What are the things that you're telling me to do, right? The Lord says, if you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart, man, that's no good. I can't do that. In fact, that's, it's really bad. I will send a curse upon you. Malachi is just the vessel here, you know, the mouthpiece, but the Lord is saying, listen, you guys, listen up, pay attention. I think that's why Jesus would say in the New Testament, he would say this several, several times, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You guys remember that? Yeah. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think he was saying to people, wake up, pay attention. This is for you. Tune into what I'm saying right now. So many times I find that the problem is that we're not listening to the Lord. We've got him tuned out. Especially if we're stuck in that religious routine that I remembered. There's no room for listening. There's no time for sitting at Jesus' feet and saying, okay, Lord, what do I need to know? What's the next step, God? And sometimes I, I find for myself, I just need to take a moment. I've prayed, I've said my peace, and I need to go, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me now? Lord, what, what do I need to do on my end, right? So important, listen to the Lord. This is Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. Listen to this, you guys. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. So true, right? Listen to counsel, receive instruction. Um, as I have gotten a little bit older, I've just realized that there's so much value in being coachable and being moldable by somebody who's smarter than you. Um, and when I was a little kid, I thought that as I got older, I would get smarter. And that's kind of true. It's partially true. <laughs> but I think you really realize how much stuff you don't know. Amen. And you're like, oh, man, there's a lot of people that know way more than I do. I was listening, <laughs> I was listening to a, a guy talk about this, and he said, I used to walk into the library as a little kid and think, look at all this stuff I'm going to learn one day. And he says, now as an adult, I walk into the library, and I go, look at all this stuff I'm never going to know. <laughs> and he's like, it didn't even alphabetized. <laughs> um, but you realize there's just a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of people that know more than we do. I don't know a lot, you know. But first step, first point, especially to the priests, listen to the Lord. Take that moment to tune in. We have to obey him. Um, he's our master if we obey him. 
Okay, let's read verses 3 and 4 now. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. So verse 3 here, the Lord, you can see he mentions spreading refuse on their faces. And to a priest, there wasn't anything that could be more disgraceful than that thought right there. Uh, and let me explain, for a sacrificial animal, again, this is what, you know, this is the priest's job. They had to sacrifice the burnt offerings unto the Lord. Prior to sacrifice, the refuse or the poop inside the animal had to be removed. It had to be removed prior to sacrifice, and it had to be discarded. So it wasn't allowed to be in there. Couldn't remain in the animal. So the Lord is essentially saying, that poop that you remove from the animal, I'm going to rub your noses in it. That's what he says. So it's, a very, it's actually a very, very strong language. It's a very harsh rebuke. And to a, again, to a priest, that there's, nothing, um, there's not a more embarrassing thought than that, really. Yeah, you know you're in a bad way when the Lord says, I will rebuke your kids and spread poop on your face. Not good. Time to make a change, brother. You know. All right, verse 4. But he mentions in verse 4 that my covenant with Levi may continue. And you guys know this. Who was Levi? Levi, of course, was the ancestor of the tribe of Levites. And we know this as the tribe that would become the tribe of priests. Again, tribe of Levi. Um, It's their job to perform the priestly ceremonies, to offer, again, the burnt sacrifices unto the Lord. tribe of Levi was in charge of all that. Now, this is awesome. I love this next section because the Lord references Levi as an example to us of a good priest. Right now, up until this point, it's been a lot of uh, don'ts, you know. Levi is going to show us here uh, the do's, the things that we should be doing in order to give the Lord real worship. Uh, And I'm really glad that the Bible does this often. I need an example of what to do. (laughs) I need to follow somebody. I need to, I'm a visual learner, you know, so I need to see somebody do it and say, okay, I'll do it like that guy did it. That's what's going on here. Uh, Yeah, again, up until this point, it's been the what not to do. And we're going to look at Levi here as an example, a great example of of a good priest. But did you know that Jesus is our example to the Christian? He is our high priest. That's one of his many, many, many names. Um, Many titles, Messiah, Savior, Uh, I think Greg mentioned a couple of them tonight. He's the friend of sinners, Prince of Peace, Morning Star, Righteous One. Those are incredible, beautiful titles, and I was laughing at myself because, do you guys have nicknames? You have a nickname for yourself? Mine is like Whale Boy or something like that, but anyways, Jesus is, he has all these titles, man, they're awesome, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, Rabbi, Teacher. Ancient of days. He's also referenced in John 3.16. He's the only begotten son. Chief cornerstone. Ransom. King of kings. Lord of lords. Emmanuel. Um, the great physician. Man of sorrows. Redeemer. Rose of Sharon. Have you heard that one before? Is that a song of Solomon? Who's Sharon? Yeah, that's what I thought. Lily of the valley. Wonderful counselor. And that's just what we call him. But he actually says a lot of I am statements too. He says, I'm the bread of life, the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I'm the good shepherd. And those aren't nicknames. Those aren't nicknames to God. Those are titles. That means that, you know, we call him the redeemer because he redeems us. We call him the deliverer because he does that. He delivers us, right? It's, it's a title. It's what he does. But each of these 
yeah, again, they describe something different about him. So not just a nickname. So when we say Jesus is our high priest, that's because he's our high priest. He is. The high priest had a very specific job too. This is interesting. He was the mediator between the common people <clears throat> and God. Uh, there were normal priests, and then in charge of all the normal priests was the high priest. He was responsible for sprinkling blood on the Ark of the Covenant once a year during the Day of Atonement. You probably knew that, Yom Kippur. But there's average Joes, priests, high priests, and then Jesus is above all of that. He's described as the great high priest because he is the ultimate best, greatest priest of all time. Again, he is, he is our mediator between me, the average Joe, and God. I wanted to bring up this verse, Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verses 26 and 27. It describes how Jesus is this for us. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests, again, he's referencing here the Levitical high priest, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. That makes Jesus the high priest. Again, you'll see that the Levitical priests were required to offer up daily sacrifice. Jesus is our once and for all time sacrifice. So we look to Jesus again as our example. But again, we're going to look at Levi here. Look at verse 5. The Lord is commending Levi. He's doing say, good job, Levi. Let's look at it right here. My covenant was with him. This is the Lord speaking about Levi. One of life and peace. I have that underlined here. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. Let's take a moment to pause there. And that's my second point. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. The first one was listen to the Lord. I'm saying fear the Lord now. The Lord first mentions the covenant that he had established with Levi. And he describes it. He describes it as one of life and peace. God promised Levi that he would scatter him throughout all of Israel. This turned out to be a really good thing because that meant that there were priests all over Israel. It's a good thing. But again, the nature of that covenant, he says, the covenant I had with Levi was life and it was peace. Hey, I don't know about you guys, but that's the covenant I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of the face poop covenant. I want to, that's the one I want. Life and peace, man. <laughs> Amen. But let me just tell you guys really quick, if we make a decision, if you make a decision to fear the Lord, that's what you will receive in return. I promise you, life and peace. That's the key. You will receive life and peace. You establish that covenant with the Lord. And I wanted to take a moment to compare it because in John 10, 10, Jesus compared himself to the enemy. It says this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Okay, that's the comparison there. So listen, if you do want to make a covenant with the enemy, if you want to shake hands with the devil, that's the result. You know his motive. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what you're going to get. That's his character. That's the devil's character. And I think that, you know, for me personally, I've been there, made a deal with, man, just the enemy. And I can attest that totally destroyed my life. All that is true. But when we make a covenant with God, this is the good news, guys. When you finally say, Lord Jesus, I, you're the boss of my life. You got it. You're in charge. You are behind the wheel. I'm letting go. In return, life and peace for you. Amen. Have you guys experienced that before? I love that. 
Anyone who has made a covenant with God says, yes, life and peace, man. But prior to that decision, if you don't fear the Lord, um, it said, the Bible says that you are actually at war with God. You are hostile. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 7. Look at this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. That word enmity, it literally means hostile, at war against God. Until you choose to fear him, uh, you are at war against him because you're in the flesh. Again, so that second point, fear the Lord. He said, listen to the Lord, fear the Lord now. And really, to just zoom out for a second, this is looking at it from 30,000 feet. Tonight, we're talking about a specific group of priests that had some major character flaws, man. They were messed up. They had some major things coming uh, between them and real worship. But from this verse, from what we just read in Malachi chapter 2, we can see that the Lord approved of Levi as a priest because he feared God. So if you don't hear anything else tonight, you don't have to write down the rest of the points or nothing. This is the one you should pay attention to. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. That's where we acknowledge that God, first off, he exists. He's the creator of the universe. And, uh, well, isn't that sort of a Christian easy saying, fear the Lord? Um, I wanted to just touch on that for a moment. I didn't want it to be some far off Christian easy thing that we don't know how to explain. But it it, it is respect, but it's not just respect. It's a deep respect, but it's also greater than respect. It's reverence for God. It's saying, I put him higher than anything else in my life. He's up there and I'm down here. He's the Lord of the universe and I'm just, just whale boy down here. I'm not, I'm not very important. <clears throat> and really the simplest way I can put it, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement that he is God and I'm not. I think if you can get to that point, that's the beginning. You're starting to fear the Lord. You're up there, I'm down here. But in response to that truth, I bow down and I worship him. I say, okay, I bow down, Right? This is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. We read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's it. Fools, they despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the Lord, that comes first. There is such thing, too, as a healthy fear. Do you guys agree with that? A healthy fear. I really want to touch on that and understand that. It's like the ocean. I love the ocean, man. It's awesome. The dad side of my dad's side of the family, they're all from Hawaii. I've been to the ocean several times. I love it. It's majestic. It is beautiful. I love to fish, and I love to try to surf, you know, um, all that stuff. I think it's the 10th wonder of the world, or however many there are. But Do I have a healthy fear of the ocean, though? Amen. Dude, you better believe it. That, the ocean is terrifying. I read 80 to 95% of it is um, unexplored. I mean, if you have an imagination like me, I'm like, yo, that's the scariest thought I could ever think right there. I don't know what's in 95% of this body of water. <laughs> that's terrifying. Once when I was in college, um, we're, me and a couple of buddies were in the ocean, and we got caught, caught in a rip tide, a rip current, whatever they're called, where the waves are coming at, like, X's. Got pulled out to see the lifeguard. Uh, lifeguards got called, and, yeah, we barely made it in. It was me and four other guys. And uh, two people, I, they actually drowned. It was really, really sad. But I, after that, I've always had just a healthy, very healthy fear of 
the ocean whenever I go there. This is similar to my fear of the Lord, just to compare it. I think he is beautiful, powerful, majestic. I think he's loving. But there is a healthy fear in my heart um, of the Lord. And I'm not trying to say that we should be scared of the Lord. You know, if Jesus was sitting here in the front row, I think all the kids would want to go climb up in his lap. I think that's what he's really like. I really do. It's not that. Um, I wanted to bring this up, though. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples about this subject, he said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And it's a two-sided coin. You know, personally, I am of the mindset that his kindness leads us to repentance. That's certainly what it was for me. It was his kindness. So I, I never try to use fear as a, as a motivator. I, I don't think it's effective, but I'm just trying to tell you personally, um, this is where I'm at. I, I try not to bash, you know, be like a bash you over there with a Bible or anything like that. I don't think that's effective. All I'm trying to say is that if there's something worth giving reverence to, if there's something that we should be in awe of, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Fear of the Lord. He, I'm in reverence of him. I'm in awe of him. So Levi was a good example. He was somebody, again, that the Lord is proud of because he feared the Lord. He was reverent before him. Look at what else it says about Levi. This is verse six. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. So the law of truth that mentions there, he wasn't speaking anything falsely. He wasn't uh, trying to uh, get the ear of the people by speaking a lie. He was saying the truth. As God's priest, he was speaking truly. He was being honest. Also a great principle for us too. We should endeavor to be the same. But look at the end of verse six there. It says, speaking of Levi, that he turned many away from iniquity. We don't use that word too often anymore, iniquity. He turned people away from bad stuff, from sin. He got them on the right course. And I've noticed that when we walk with God, when we have peace with God, me and you, that means I have right standing with God. Me and God are on good terms, all right? That's great. When we do that, we personally, we will turn away from iniquity, right? You will turn away from sin as it comes up. But this is a great principle. We help others to turn away from their sin and iniquity as well. So that's the third thing I wanted to mention. Turn others away from sin. Turn others away from sin. Now, does that mean that we have our sin scanners out and we're just waiting to catch somebody sinning? <laughs> no, dude, don't do that. You don't have your sin scanner out waiting for somebody to mess up so we can catch them. It's not that, not what it is. I think of it more like directing other people to the right path. And the easiest way to do that is if you are just on the path yourself. People start spinning their wheels. They're like... Uh, Yeah, they're just on the wrong path, essentially. But if you're on the correct path, okay, you're walking the straight and narrow, you're walking the line. Is that Johnny Cash? Who's singing that? But other people, they're lost, they're stuck. And they're like, dude, how do I get out of this place? I'm backed into a corner, I'm on the wrong way. And they're looking to get onto the right path, right? How do I do that? They look and see you and they go, oh, yeah, I'm gonna do what that guy's doing. I'm gonna get on the right path. I'm gonna go that way. It's funny, a couple of years ago, I was in uh, Hawaii with some of my best buddies Nick and Andrew and uh, we're on the island of Oahu and we hiked the stairway to heaven have you guys heard of that before it's a big uh scary sketchy hike all the way to the um 
yeah, this incredible lookout on the top. Um, very beautiful. You're not supposed to hike it, though. But we hiked it, so we, we did it. Um, but because you're not supposed to hike it, there's not like a formal entrance. It's not like, okay, here's a booth, and you pay your $10, and like you take a shuttle up there. It, like, yeah, you're not supposed to do it. So there's no formal entrance. You, I, we don't know where the trailhead is or anything like that. But <clears throat> uh, we got up super early in the morning. <laughs> I remember this. Because we wanted to be at the top by sunrise. That was the thing to do. You want to see the sunrise. It's like, oh, man, that is so cool, right? Uh, that was our goal. But the only problem was we couldn't find the trailhead to get started. We're like, where is this thing? We don't even know where it is. So it was like 3, 4 in the morning. It's pitch dark outside. We've all got like these headlines on, and it's like Mission Impossible. And the thing about that area, it's like thick, dense jungle at the beginning of it. And in the morning, it's just everything is wet. Everything is sopping wet, okay? We're trying to find the trailhead, and we end up on the side of this hill because we think it's just over this little ridge. And we're like, yeah, okay, I think it's up there. But again, it's pitch black. We're trying to hike up this hill, and it's muddy and slippery, and it's getting steeper, so we're, like, grabbing onto branches and bushes, doing our best to get up there, and everybody actually starts to get frustrated. The guys are getting frustrated because it's cold, and it's muddy, and we can't find this thing. We're searching diligently for this trail, um, but again, it's just getting steeper and steeper, but all we're doing is just getting muddier and muddier. It's actually really frustrating. But all of a sudden, I hear somebody whistling, and it's not somebody from our group. Some guy's like, I can't whistle right now, but anyways, imagine a, a nice tune in your head. So he's whistling, and I'm like, hey, wait, guys, stop. What is that? And sure enough, I see it as some guy with a headlamp, and he's like 50 yards to our right, and he's just walking up this trail. Like, it's perfectly <laughs> there, and he's just walking up it, and he's like, hey, guys, what are you doing? And I was like, hey, are you going up Stairway to Heaven? He's like, yeah, I am. What, are you, what the heck are you guys doing? And we're like, we're trying to find the trailhead. And he goes, oh, yeah, just go back about 50 yards that way and take a right. And it's, yeah, there it is. Sure enough, we did. And uh, yeah, it was a terrifying hike. So we did that. But man, I just wanted to say that story because um, <laughs> sometimes people in iniquity or sin, they're like me just trying to get up that muddy hillside. They're spinning their wheels and they're frustrated and cold and tired. <laughs> they're not making any progress, but they want to get on the right path. You might have met people like that before. So if you are somebody who is on the right path, speak up, man. Say something. If that guy would have just passed us by and not been whistling, I'd have been like, I would still be in Hawaii right now, just muddy. <laughs> but that's how I believe that we do it. That's how we turn others from iniquity. We say, hey, Quit spinning your wheels. Come join me. Look where I'm going, right? Turn them. Lead them from the path of iniquity. All right. Let's move on to verse 7. It says this. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Uh, principle number four here, get to know God. Be somebody that gets to know God. That word there, messenger, could also be translated angel. You remember that many times angels were God's messengers throughout the Bible. They would, boom, burst onto the scene, and they're like, hey, don't be afraid, you know, but they're really scary looking. They were messengers of God. So Malachi is saying here that a priest, again, that's all of us. Remember, we're part of this royal priesthood in the Christian life. That's all of us right now. A priest is a messenger. That means you have a message from God. You speak on behalf of him sometimes. 
And that sounds like a lot of pressure, right? <laughs> I know it does to me to be a messenger of the Lord. Well, it kind of is. That's the reality. And as a Christian, man, what you say, what you do is a message to people. It's a message to non-believers and believers alike. And you are saying this is what God is like. This is what God approves. This is what God permits and therefore you promote it, right? That's why people get so messed up because they see Christians saying and doing things that are not of the Lord, that are not indicative of his character. They're not true. And they say, well, they're hypocrites. Can't blame them for that, right? That's part of the problem. But for me and you, says the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. That means in this scenario here, I know what God is like, right? That's why I say get to know God. And I'm not saying you have to know everything about God, right? You don't have to know. I don't think you're going to. But continue, I think the encouragement for me and you, continue to get to know him better because you and I are his messengers. We're his messengers. Great responsibility in that. But just like the old priests that we're talking about here in the Bible, you and me can influence the way people think about God. <laughs> that might be the most important thought in the world right there. Uh, some people, man, some people that you speak to and that you talk to, they haven't had a Godward thought in years. And you could be the catalyst. You could be the one that lets them think about the Lord. But again, keep knowledge of the Lord, right? Life is so much better when you know what God is really like. You have knowledge of him. And I find it's great. You know, theology is defined theology. Okay, this is the definition of theology. The study of the nature of God. That's what it is. The more I talk with people that are not believers, I realize oftentimes they don't accurately know God's nature. Um, they have maybe heard stuff about God from music or television, but it's skewed, right? And I, again, I'm not saying that we're going to understand everything about him perfectly, but we do know some things about the Lord. Think to yourself right now, just in your seat, what are some things that you know that you know that you know about the Lord? What are some things that you would put your foot down and say, I know he is like this? For me, I'm thinking he's kind, he's loving, he's wise, he loves me enough to discipline me and get me back on the right course because I have experienced that kindness and wisdom and love, and the discipline, personally. I have, by myself, I've done it before. Uh, so now if somebody comes up to me and they say, well, God's kind of a jerk, isn't he? I can say, no, nope, he's not. I, he's loving, actually. I've experienced his love. And you can't tell me any different, right? Or if they say, well, uh, he's, he's, he's not very loving, though, right? He is totally loving. Based on my experience with him, I've experienced it myself. I've gotten to know him. I know what he's like. So I can dispel the rumors about him that people have, right? The lips of a priest keep knowledge. And again, people, they just have the, their own uh, preconceived ideas. And they, maybe everything that they think they know about God is from one song. I'm like, what? How could it be just from one song, one television show? But we are to be like Philip. Do you guys remember Philip? It's in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. Uh, here, let me read it to you guys. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, 
can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. (laughs) I love this story of him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's just the best line. Okay, right here, Jesus is calling some of the first disciples. He's in Galilee. Here he calls Philip. Philip finds his friend. Uh, Okay, so Philip becomes his disciple, but then Philip finds his friend Nathaniel and says, dude, we have found the Messiah. We found the, like, God. He's here that Moses was speaking of. We have found him. We have found the real deal. Nathaniel responds, can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) But Nathaniel had a preconceived idea. He was like, he can't come out of Nazareth because that's like a truck stop town. It's like on the way to Boise, you know. Why would the Messiah just give it? Dude, that's us. Anyways. But Philip does the best thing that we can do in that situation. He just says, well, I don't know. Why don't you come and see for yourself? Come and see, right? That should be our response as well when people say, well, I think God is a jerk, and I think he's unloving, and I think he's not very smart either. Well, why don't you just come and see before you knock it, right? Uh, make that call after you have spent some time with him. Make that call after you've met him. Man, I'm so proud of, uh, there's so many people are in our young adults group that are inviting people. They're saying, hey, come to the Bible study. Come to church, right? Spend some time with Jesus, and then go ahead and make the call. All right, after that, come and see All right, let's go to uh, verse 8 and verse 9 here. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. I wanted to end with this principle here, to keep his ways you notice there at the, at the end of verse 9, it says, because you have not kept my ways. It's that last encouragement there, that last, that last principle to keep his way. Just the final point there. And I believe the key word there is keep, all right? Christian, believer, Jesus follower, dude, just stay the course. Just keep on keeping on. Whether you are crawling or walking sometimes it's like dude we are sprinting with the lord right now everything is awesome sometimes it's like you are just barely crawling on the christian path you know we stumble we fall knowing this is the thing too i know that i will stumble i will fall but i stay the course you guys remember that old song what if i stumble what if i fall i can't sing it right now but that's i love that song man what if I stumble? What if I fall? I'm going to. That's the, that's the reality. But I keep his ways. I just keep on the course, man. <laughs> just keep going. And sometimes I've noticed, too, that the hardest part is continuing after you really blow it, right? You think, dude, I'm getting off the path. I have just really messed it up big time. Um, I know I've felt that way before. When that happens, it's, just, it's hard to keep going after that. But, man, I just want to encourage you. Maybe that's you tonight. There's grace for you. There's so much grace. Everyone stumbles. Everyone falls. Keep moving. Keep going. Keep his ways. Just keep swimming, right? <laughs> that old saying. Well, we're going to have Greg come up. Greg, the entire worship team is Greg. Praise the Lord. <laughs> um, have Greg come up. And we're going to cut it there tonight. We're just going to go through verse 9. Next week we'll be lurk, uh, looking at verses 10 through 17.
So we're going to kind of split up chapter two there a little bit. Um, okay, and at this time too, Greg is going to play two worship songs. We have a little bit of time still. So Greg's going to play uh, two worship songs. During that time, uh, me, Jeremy, uh, Faith, and Trinity are going to be um, just spread out throughout the room. And we want you to come pray with us. If you've got something on your heart, you're like, man, I just need, you need prayer for something or you, or you want to pray for something. Uh, let's get up and let's pray with each other, man. That's, we're all believers here. We come here to be strengthened and to pray for one another, you know. So um, we'll just do that. Again, it's just for, uh, just for two songs. So again, get up and go, go pray with somebody if you need help, um, if you just need prayer. I felt like that a lot recently where it's just like, man, I need to get to the, to the place of prayer. I need to be there right now. Amen. Do you guys ever feel like that? <laughs> That's where we got to get to sometimes. All right, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll spread out and do that now, but uh, let me just uh, close in prayer for us here. Father, we just thank you for your word, Lord. I just thank you that you give us strength, you give us encouragement. Uh, you help us, Father, when we are weak. You are our strength and our refuge. I just thinking about all those names we read just a little bit ago. You're the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. And I've just noticed in my life, Father, I just thank you. I praise you for being uh, what I needed when I needed it. You have been my, my correction. You have been my comfort. Gosh, you've been my strong tower, the place I run to when I'm scared, my hiding place, Lord. And I just thank you for being that. And I pray, Father, tonight for anybody who is sitting in their chair and going, I need help. I want to be encouraged. Um, I want to follow this example of Levi that we just looked at. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen that person now, encourage, and uh, I pray that you would pour out your spirit too, Father. So we sing these next songs to you. Amen.